This person has made a big impact on our life. Have really learned a lot from her. All right, somebody get me out of here. <laughs> no, we've had our own little counseling in this whole thing. This has been quite the counseling session. <laughs> I hope you've learned a lot. We've definitely benefited from this. <laughs> you we. See Did you see that? Yeah, uh, and I just said we. Love or work. Hello and welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we have a fun, fun, fun friend with us today. It's a repeater. Well, we're not repeating an episode. He's a second time on the episode. On the He's Love a Work repeater. Podcast. He's back. A repeater? I don't know. <laughs> the fresh new perspective. <laughs> but he's a such a good friend, which is totally. kind of why we just like want him to keep coming back. We want him to keep coming back. Totally. I mean, honestly, if you could probably pick a better co-host, you'd probably pick BT. I would, honestly. <laughs> I could like kick you out anytime and bring BT back in. <laughs> no, I was meaning if you could pick someone to replace you, it'd be better for what? him than I. That is this. not <laughs> true. <laughs> you would get the boot and Ooh. BT would join me. Uh, well, today we're going to dig in. On a topic that's hitting families everywhere, right? Yeah. I think that a lot of people don't necessarily think that this will impact them, but we do believe that it's going to impact you and your family in some way, no matter what, at some point in your life, whether it's your own kids, your grandkids. We're talking about parents of LGBTQ kids. Yeah. So there, there's a really good chance that most families at some point in the near future, or if they haven't already, will have someone in their family somewhere connected to them that comes out to someone in their family as LGBTQ in some capacity, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of families don't know what to do in that moment. They may not have been prepared for that. Mm -hmm. They might have thought, this is not my family. They have all these preconceived notions. And this is an episode for you. This is an episode for us. This is an episode where we're going to learn from BT what to do in those moments, how to have real conversations with people that you love, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, BT is coming from a world of experience, research, and just a lot of work. I mean, he has implemented programs and ways to support parents of LGBTQ kids and also just his own experience as well. So he wrote a whole series and also turned it into a podcast called Blue Babies Pink, which is his own coming out story to his Southern Baptist family and as a Southern Baptist himself as well. So it's his journey. I don't know if he calls himself a Southern Baptist. He was at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anymore, but he was at that point and it's his journey. And so if you want to hear more about that, it's a beautiful, beautiful story of how that all came to be. So that's called Blue Babies Pink. And then he also has a really great resource called Harbor. And it's for parents of LGBTQ kids. And it's a way that Christian parents can connect and be supported and just help through this journey of, of what to do when you don't know what to do about your own kids. So without further ado, I think this is going to be a great conversation to just keep in your back pocket. Like I said, if you don't think this is you, it will be you one day in some way. And that could be anybody that's around you or impacted or that's in your life. And so you want to be listening to this in some way, 
even for the kids that are around you in your life that you can support and love. So here we go. B.T. Harmon. Well, welcome back, BT. You have actually been on our podcast before, so we're so glad to have you back. Thanks. So excited. Yeah. And as you know, you are on our podcast, but I know you are also a listener of our podcast, which is really incredible to me because... Because Andre doesn't even listen to my other podcast. <laughs> Just for the record. I have another podcast and we realize she doesn't even listen to that. She's so you still- listen to ours, but she doesn't listen to mine. It, but it happens. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had this conversation because I remember being like, uh, okay, but why? Like, why do you listen to ours? And you had specifically said that there weren't really a lot of resources for you and your same-sex relationships and especially like a long-term relationship. So tell me about that and why do you think that is and why do you think we're doing this? Yeah, my observation, I've been married, uh, my husband and I got married about four years ago. And yeah, my observation is just, it doesn't feel like there are a lot of resources out there marriage-wise for us. Not to say there are none, but there's just not many and not many have found their way to me. So, um, and I think the reason for that, for me, it's like a, a math and a timing issue. I mean, on the math side, like, particularly for gay men. Statistically, we know about probably 1% to 2% of the human population are gay males. So there's just not a lot of people out yeah. there, you know, even uh, producing content. I mean, up until 2003 also, it's like homosexuality was still criminalized in America. Like that was the year when yeah. some of those like old statutes came off the books. And so, uh, and then also you know, the right to marry is only seven years old. So that's kind of the timing piece of it is I think we're still kind of new to this thing and we don't really have a lot of data yet on straight relationships or I'm sorry, gay relationships. So it's like the heteros, you know, y'all been, y'all been at this marriage thing for a real long time. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a lot of, a lot of books, a lot of research, a lot of studies out there there. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, it's kind of like, it's like when, when a new piece of technology comes out, no one really knows how to use it. So I think it's kind of the same way with gay relationships. Like it's just kind of new and it's a new genre. And, um, I think 10, 20, 30 years from now, it won't be that way. It'll be so many great resources and mm-hmm. things out there. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, that's why I love the Love Work podcast. Cause I think you can learn a lot about marriage from everyone. And I think a lot of the principles for heterosexual marriages translate really well. Yeah. to our world as well. So, yeah, let's f- like flip that switch a little bit then in the in the other way. I mean, what do you think straight couples can learn from the LGBTQ community? Like as we are interviewing people in this season, I think it's interesting you've been forced because of a lack of resources and in, in some ways to learn from straight couples, but what we're a straight couple, what should we be listening for and how can we <laughs> learn from you? Well, I I think we can both learn a lot from each other. I mean, again, Brett and I have gleaned so much wisdom from so many marriages, which are all almost all universally straight by uh, the nature of who we know. But yeah, I think there's some unique some unique things here. Like number one, um, marital roles. I think uh, for us, for Brett and I, are are based less around gender and more around strengths. You know, and so I I picked up on that early on in a relationship of like, oh, like if you're you know, if you're a hetero relationship and let's say maybe you grew up in a more traditional part of the country, you know, your your instinct is probably to sort of revert to traditional gender roles. Not for everyone, but for lots of folks. Well, you know, if you're gay, like you don't have those roles. There's no expectations of, well, the woman does this and the man does this. And so you figure it out. And, you know, for Brett and I, we 
began to put that together based around our strengths, which I feel like is um, probably the best way to do it. And um, so we sort of designed home roles and career roles, you know, designed those things around what we feel like we're the best at and complementing each other's strengths. So I think that's one thing that maybe some of my heterosexual friends could reevaluate, you know, I roles in their marriage. I love it. Preach. <laughs> yeah, because we've, we tend to go backwards in history. This is what a man does. This is what a woman yep. does. Right. And right. you don't have to even worry about that. You're like, you're, there's no framework that you're fighting against in that way. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that kind of goes into my second thought on that is don't be afraid to sort of go off script. And this is one thing I love about being gay. I can keep a list of like good things about being gay. It's not the longest list in the world, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty short, honestly. But one of them is that like, we don't get handed this script from like our parents and from all the institutions of culture, um, which is honestly kind of freeing, you know, because there's all, all of us have this, the burden of expectations of what, how we're supposed to live our life and design our life and organize our life. And, you know, there's definitely this thing of, you know, for most people, we go to college, then we date and then we get engaged and then we're married by 26 and then we wait three to five years and we have children and then we get a house and then we get a bigger house. And so a lot of those kind of scripts just don't work for us gays or they're very, very different. And so I'm just a believer in like, you know, rethinking life, you know, in a healthy way, particularly around your circumstances. And so, you know, maybe you don't want children. Maybe you want 10 children. Maybe you want to travel internationally. Maybe you both want to have thriving careers. And so I think uh, you get the right to do that. When you don't feel compelled to follow the script, um, then it gives you a little freedom and creativity to do things in a way that you feel like is best for your family. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. Don't be afraid to go off script and do things a little differently. Well, Let's go back a little bit with your story just to remind people if they didn't listen to our first podcast with you. But let's go back to basically kind of your coming out story and then kind of the biggest resource that you started and created in just writing your story essentially that went all over and crazy and viral and all the things. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, I put out a blog and podcast in 2016 called Blue Babies Pink, and this was, simply put, just my coming out story. Uh, I grew up, uh, to make a very long story short, I grew up in Alabama. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. Uh, I was obviously gay my whole life, but closeted and uh, tried my best to to not be gay for about 30 plus years, which is a pretty long time to be in the closet. And, um, you know, kind of reached a breaking point in my late 20s and began to began to come out and confide in close friends and family, began to accept the fact that I was gay instead of fighting it, and eventually came to a place of real emotional health. Uh, so once I kind of was in that process, I said, I feel compelled to share this story for whoever wants to read it, you know, and, and not that the story is that unique, but put it in a blog format at first, and then transitioned it to a podcast uh, called Blue Babies Pink. And so, you know, in a really neat way, a lot of people began to read that story and listen to it, share it around. And so a lot of folks began reaching out, um, which is a pretty special thing. So um, so I think like, yeah, the biggest surpriser in that process, and that's been over five years now, and still to this day, I get weekly emails from people who've just discovered the podcast, which is so special and meaningful, and that happens, they reach out. But I think the surprise to me was just the power of sharing a raw, unvarnished, vulnerable story. You know, mm -hmm. I think obviously we're all inundated with story now and social media, all the things. Um, and a lot of it feels fabricated. But when someone, you know, 
has the um, audacity to, to share in a real hard, vulnerable, honest way. And, and I'm certainly not the first. I'm one of many who do that and continue to do it. Um, it's very powerful. And I'm a big believer that everybody's story has very particular power and meaning to specific people, you know, because when folks reach out to me, I, I always tell them like, Share your story because my story is like a, it's like a little serum that is meaningful and healing to a specific set of people, whereas it doesn't resonate and has no healing, you know, abilities with millions of other people. So the more people we have sharing their stories, the more that can, that message can get out there. But sharing them yeah, in a raw, honest, and vulnerable way is, um, I think, the ticket. One of the things I loved about reading that story and being on that journey with you was I think oftentimes I, I had a lot of friends that didn't have any friends that were gay at the, at the core and, or maybe one person or whatever. And it was like, I, in conversations I have with a lot of people, it felt like you became their friend (laughs) in this weird thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, which I'm sure that was, that's a lot to take on. Mm -hmm. You've had literally millions of people that have listened to the podcast and all this kind of stuff. But in also in the midst of that, you became friends to parents of the LGBTQ community. So in the midst of that, these parents have all these fears they're asking questions. So when that happens, these people reach out to you and they reach out to you. What do you tell them? Like where, I'm sure you're trying to figure out where they're at on that um, story, uh, but it's been a huge part ever since that story came out. Yeah, so I don't know if I mentioned it, but a lot of the, the story, Blue Babies Pink, you know, was sort of grounded in my faith background, growing up in the Christian church, evangelicalism. And so that really is who that story resonated with the most. So to answer your question, when those emails come in to me, most of them are from people coming from it from that same perspective. So um, when that happens, and again, that happens a lot, a couple things that I try to quickly communicate, if it's a parent who particularly has a child who's just come out, the emotions are raw, it's very fresh and new. Uh, Number one, and this is kind of wild to even admit, but, you know, I always, I have to first remind them that your kid is not gay because of how you raised them. And by gay, I mean LGBTQ, you know, any sexual or gender minority. It is still so common for a parent to think in that moment, like, what did we do wrong? And it's hard to get them to admit that, but that is one of the very first things they begin going back in time. And they think about when the child was in kindergarten, third grade, maybe we did this thing wrong. And that's how, you know, this whole story went sideways. And at the end of the day, that's just a really tragic line of thinking. You know, historically, we know about about 5% of the population self-identifies as LGBTQ. We still don't know why people are gay or trans. Um, environmental factors don't seem to play a big role in that. And so I think a part of this is we've just got to stop viewing LGBTQ people as broken toys. That was the first thing that you just hit me. Like when you said, like, what did we do wrong? That automatically... It assumes brokenness. Yes, yeah. and it already assumes yeah. that this is not okay. Yes. And to me, that right there is like what you're saying. It's just we're starting automatically like in the wrong place. Exactly. If, if that's our, our core assumption that anything other than straight and cisgender is broken, <laughs> then yeah, you will go down this very dark road of what what went wrong in this child's past. So. So, yeah, I mean, as a gay man, I do not think my sexuality is is broken. It's not. Like, I, I feel whole and complete and filled with joy, and I feel like I bring a special, you know, something special to life uh, in, in the way that that expresses itself. So that's number one. Number two, I, I would just remind parents, your kid can have a really happy life. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this is not like a, a death sentence, and, and their life may look very different than you thought. That's obviously uh, very likely. 
But things have changed so much for LGBTQ people, even in the last 5, 10, 15 years, you know. We're able to live really happy, thriving lives, particularly here in America. And my husband, are, you know, we're, we're a great example of that. I, I love our life. We have friendship. We have community. We have joy. Our, our life has meaning. We have two cats. We have a garden. You know, we just have all the, the some of the great things uh, about living a very boring domestic life, which are so a lovely. A 16-foot tree. We have a, yeah, we have a big 16-foot tree, Jeff. You've seen it in our backyard. It's in a pot. It's like a big tree. And then I would say the last thing, you know, for, for parents, I would say, you know, you're not the first person in the world to go through this, which, again, mm. they know that cerebrally, but they yeah. often feel, uh, particularly in parents in like, a, you know, small or rural environments it kind of feels like they're the only ones carrying this news, this heavy news about having a gay child. And obviously there are millions of parents out there. Um, there's incredible support groups that, that parents can plug into. And it's cliche, but you're not alone. You know, parents are not alone in this journey. And um, it's new. It feels scary at times, but you just have to kind of recalibrate and reevaluate. So your child comes out to you and it's like the moment. What should you do? In that moment, I know you have your advice because you remember coming out to your mom. You remember that moment for you. Yeah. And I think that was one of the parts in your story that like, I'm going to get all emotional, but was so crazy and great to hear in the sense of learning from yeah. that. And so what do you share with other people like for that moment? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're asking this because, you know, I've often said that when a, when a child comes out to a parent, it's often an ambush. Sometimes the parent sees it coming. Oftentimes they don't. And so to me, this is like, you know, the best time to prepare for a fire in your kitchen is not the moment the flames are raging. It's like you need to have the fire extinguisher there, you know. So this is a thing where I'm glad that we're having this conversation because maybe now some parents can, can kind of prepare for that moment. I think the, the simplest principle, the simplest principle here is all listening, no lecturing. That's it. All listening, no lecturing. Uh, be curious, ask questions. You know, the phrase, tell me more about that. I, I love that that phrase because it's an invitation for more conversation. Um, questions, but not questioning. Mm. We're not interrogating. <laughs> this is not the moment for interrogation. Wait, do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. Like, listen, you've got a lifetime. You've given a lifetime. You've got years to get into all the nitty-gritty specifics. You can talk about that later, but this is not the time to channel your emotions toward your child. And listen, and it's going to be hard because you're going to be feeling the emotions, but channel your emotions towards, you know, God, towards a therapist, towards your, like some other direction, but don't, don't point your emotions at your child at that time. Don't say, this has happens so often. And this happened, I had probably 50 one-on-one -on -one coming out conversations, the most annoying thing that people told me. I wish you had told me sooner. Why didn't you tell me sooner? And parents say this a lot. And it's like, I get it. I understand that. But that's just not, it's just not cool. Like, don't, don't make it about you, right? Um, and the temptation is, because again, you're instantly flooded with all these new feelings and you want to make it about you. But fight that instinct so hard. In that moment, let it be about your child. Ask questions. Obviously, tell them you love them. Remind that you love them. Remind them that your love will never change for them. But it's a tough moment, and I have compassion for parents, and a lot of parents a lot of parents do mess it up in that first conversation, but thankfully there's grace for that, and a lot of them have come—I've seen parents come back from that and really have, you know, restoration with their child and make forgiveness for some of those things they said early on. The, the framework is changing, though, I would say. Like, I, I, 
I think, you know, you talked about time at the beginning of the podcast where you're like, well, 30 years ago is this way and seven years ago is this way and today it's this way. So things are changing. And even in conversations I've had with middle schoolers, high schoolers, close friends, family members, like it's not a standard anymore that people think they're straight. Like it would be, it's, it's shifted to experimentation to try to figure out what, what they are into. Is that a fair way to say it? And so as parents, I think, I think that conversation may be different. It might not be a coming out story as much anymore. It might be an exploration of understanding themselves. So what advice would you give to parents through that experimentation phase? Yeah. I mean, this is, boy, this is like a really explosive topic right now. Um, culturally, it's kind of right on the edge of the culture wars. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if your listeners don't know this, I mean, there there was statistics and data are now showing that a larger percentage of the younger generation is identifying as LGBTQ. I think it was in uh, February of this year of 2022, a Gallup poll, I think 20% of of Gen Z now identifies as somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum, which historically that's pretty unprecedented. We've been asking questions about gender and sexuality for uh, maybe 30, 40, 50 years, and it's typically three to 5% have self-identified as that. And so now we're seeing a big uptick in that. And so this is causing a lot of consternation, a lot of freaking out among certain corners of the population. But why is that happening? I think there's two reasons. Um, number one, We've, we have created a world where it's safer for people to check that box when asked about gender or sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal. This is great, right? Perhaps in all of human history, more people are not purely straight and purely, you know, um, cisgendered. And I think that's a good thing that we've created a world where people are more comfortable. And this, you know, will blow people's minds where there are, there are humans out there who are Let's say fifteen percent gay. There's a spectrum. There is a spectrum, and I, I, we need to Andre. Like that. I've heard that. We've all heard that. What made it real for me is talking to so many people, like private email conversations, where I have a guy email me and say, "Gosh, I feel ninety percent straight." Yes. And I'm yes. like, "What is that? What do you even call that? I have no clue." But normal. like, normal. normal. Yeah. Right. Can we please make it normal? Because yeah, it and I really think, is. It really is, and I think we're we're Hang so. On. The two of you think you're you're further than <laughs> than a lot of people in that normal conversation. So, explain that at one deeper niche for us. So, if somebody were to say that to you, does that mean they're ten percent? They're at times attracted to someone of the yeah. same sex, right? Or how yeah. else would you explain that? Yeah, that could be it. It could be uh, situational. It could be. Just at times they have a feeling of attraction to someone of the same sex. And, you know, behaviorally, practically how that plays out is a whole other conversation if they're married. You know, that's sure, that's sure. another thing. But I think as a race of creatures, of humans, we're learning that this thing, we love binaries, right? Mm. We love making things. It's A or B. But why? Because our brain loves simple. And but, we like boxes. Yes, right. We can check. That's it. And boy, it's so simple to say people are either gay or they're straight and that's it. And, you know, I've always said there aren't two orientations. There are seven billion orientations because, you know, people are so different in what they're attracted to, what they're attracted by. And so, so I think, yeah, that's one reason is just that younger generation is feeling more comfortable admitting that. Whereas before you would have been, you know, criminalized or bullied or whatever. And then I think the second reason that you know, these numbers are higher is... I do think, and this is an unpopular thing to say in some circles, but I do think some younger folks are adopting these terms either to feel different and special or 
to sort of rebel. Um, you know, I mean, there is like a thing with youth culture. Since the beginning of time, youth culture wants to rebel, right? And so, you know, if you're like in that phase of life and you want to freak mom and dad out, you know, maybe you grab a term and say, well, mom, guess what? I'm, you know, like I've heard of that happening. Um, or it's a way to feel special and different because I think we're in this season now where our culture glorifies people who are unique and special. Uh, you know, social media has kind of fueled that. And so so I do think there's in the younger cohort, you know, sub 18, I think some people, some of these kids are using some terms that maybe they're not fully sure that they are trans or they are bisexual. But I don't think we should be freaking out even about that because my my mm -hmm. theory and belief is that it will all sort itself out, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If a child is authentically heterosexual, but they're telling mom and dad they're bisexual, well, over time, they will revert mm -hmm. to what they truly are. Yeah. And and so there's no there's no need to worry about, you know, the gays are indoctrinating our kids. You know, it's that's not what's happening. It's just for the first time in human history, we're talking about these issues openly and honestly. And there's going to be a learning curve and there's going to be, you know, a time of figuring out exactly the best way to talk about this stuff. And, you know, we're figuring it out together. And I think even as a parent, then it can give you a little bit of a, like, breathing room in a sense of like, you also don't have to have it all figured out with your kid. Like, you can just say like, okay, so you are right now. We'll see if that changes. Yeah. Like, you know, right. it, it doesn't, you, it doesn't mean that you then have to drop this label and hold it for eternity. That's, gosh, that's really good. Andrew. Right. Yeah, and agreed. I think, isn't there a little bit of just, it just, just breathe and like, let a little bit of this go. Yeah. Like you don't have to have it all figured out. And you don't have to know every single detail then of, oh, okay, my kid's trans. Now what do I, I got to read yeah. everything and figure yeah. it, you know, like, yeah. you can just breathe through it and hold, hold it loosely, hold it loosely and hold Love them. Love your child. Exactly. Right. Believe your child in that moment, but also hold space for this may evolve over time. This may change. There was an element of fluidity, you know, to some of these situations. So, yeah. Well, the other thing that you have created was a whole nother resource basically for just parents of LGBTQ adults, teens. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I put Blue Babies Pink out, I, I got drawn into a lot of online argumentation uh, early on. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Particularly coming out of the faith space where we're arguing about theology and what does God think about being gay? And Gosh, I got just worn out. I got so worn out by that so quickly, and I thought I can't, I can't stay in this space. Like it's too exhausting, and so can't answer every can't, single right? email can't individually. Fight, can't yeah, defend. You know, yeah. it's just too much. So I wanted to kind of stay engaged in the LGBTQ space, but in a different way. So for me, the best way to do that was in in this thing I'd walk through with my mom, which was the relationship of a particularly conservative, you know, conservative parent and a child who's just come out. And so I saw there, there's a lot of room for, for growth and for people who need help. And so I started a program called Harbor and um, our kind of mission at Harbor is to help Christian parents of LGBTQ kids support, love, and understand their child better. So we're not trying to change mom or dad's beliefs on, you know, it's just how can you be a better support and be more loving and understanding of your child as they come out and live their life. And so, so yeah, we've been doing that since 2017. We're pretty small. We have maybe, maybe five or 600 parents as a part of our group now. Um, but it's been great. And it's been so beautiful to walk with these parents through that process of, 
accepting this new reality because at the end of the day, it is. It's just, it's shocking for most parents when a child comes out. Not all, but for many, it's a, it's a big shift, a big change, something they never could have conceived of. And so what we try to do is to kind of talk them off the ledge and help them adjust and acclimate to this new reality. You said it, it kind of starts with shocking. Do you, have you have you noticed there's a, a consistent kind of like process that parents go through in accepting their child in some way? Yeah, again, it's not universal. And yeah, we're at a point sure. now where a lot of parents, it's not a big deal and they just roll with it and they're put the, put up the rainbow flag in front of the house and that's great. Um, <laughs> but for, you know, for others, it is. It is more shocking. My observation is that lots of parents responses maps perfectly to the stages of grief. Hmm. And I've seen this time and time again. You can literally watch a parent go through the different stages. There's a bargaining phase. In the bargaining phase, they are talking, you know, Johnny, let's let's we're, let's go to therapy. Let's get you and let's see a good therapist um, because there's this idea of maybe if we get him in therapy, this will change. This will go away. At this In this same season, they're bargaining with God. Right, they're praying at night. Dear Lord, take this away from Johnny. You know he doesn't. You know, um, there's a there's a denial phase. Uh, this is this one almost sets in almost instantly. It's so common for a child to come out, and then a parent will not bring it up for months or years. I have a friend who's gay in his fifties. He came out to his parents when he was in his twenties, and it's never been talked about since. Um, and so for a lot of parents, denial is the first move. And my goal with Harbor is to try to nudge parents out of that phase, you know, stay there for a while, but a lot of them get stuck there. And then there's the acceptance phase, you know, that happens eventually as well. And that was for, for me and my mom, we have a great relationship now, but we had five years after I came out to her, very rocky, bad communication, a lot of emotion. We're writers, so we would just lob these massive angry emails at each other. It's horribly toxic. <laughs> That's healthy, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> real healthy. But, you know, it was I think it was 2015. So that would have been the fourth year after I came out to her. We both hit a, a wall and realized, hey, we've we've got to both give some here to make this relationship work because I need a mom. She needs a son. And so, yeah. So what have you learned from parents and from those that have reached out to you and from the Harbor community? And what have you learned that just impacted you or changed you in some way? So early on when I was building Harbor, I surveyed about a thousand parents of LGBTQ kids, mostly in the faith space. And this was a very unscientific poll, but um, I'd collected, you know, information on a lot of parents and they'd submitted it. And because I was really trying to figure out what are the, what are the concerns? What are the fears that these parents are experiencing? And so one of the questions I asked in that survey was, or not a question, but a statement, select, select, any thoughts that you had when your child came out? Trying to get down to like, what is that core initial response? So I'd kind of give them like multiple choice of things that I had heard repeatedly. So one of their answers was, you know, oh, we have to keep this a secret. It's very common for a parent to say that to a child or to talk to their spouse mm -hmm. about that. Another thought is I failed as a parent. Another thought that often comes up is this is probably just a phase they're going through. They'll grow out of this. But what was surprising <laughs> The most frequent, the most, the number one response, the number one thought that they selected on that on that menu of about eight options was, what will my friends think? The most common thing that parents felt, their first instinct was, what will my friends think about the fact that I have an LGBTQ child? So obviously I was super surprised by this. Um, it's easy. It's easy to judge and be like, 
well, why do you care what your friends think? Get over it. It doesn't matter. It's just your kid. But that's not real life. Like, we're humans. Also, we're social. I think you're also saying, so you're talking, um, your survey is most Christian parents, right? Yeah. They, so yeah. if that's the case, then most of them are all like friends in their church and friends in there. Exactly. And so there's mm-hmm. another added dynamic to it versus yeah. just like my best friend, you know, yeah, yes, there's the dynamic of the in my faith, faith community. Yes. Well, well, the my church. faith community. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which we all know how the faith community feels about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, I get it. It's powerful. I grew up in that world. Um, but this is again, one of my things with Harbor is I really try to really try to have the conversation with parents about, Hey, we, we all have to get unaddicted to the approval of others. I mean, I think that's just a principle for everybody in all phases of life. But in this space, Mm -hmm. if your response to your child is being driven by what Martha, the church organist, thinks or Pastor Bob, I'm like, (laughs) listen, it's crazy. Like, this thing is hard enough, and it's hard for your kid, and your kid needs your undying support. And if you're hung up on how you're going to be perceived by somebody in your community, that just— it it toxifies the whole situation and your whole response. And so this is a conversation I have with parents is, hey, let's acknowledge that we feel that way. It's okay. It's okay. I empathize with that. But then let's talk about strategies we can do to minimize this crippling fear we have that our kid is not going to potentially grow up and follow that perfectly straight model of, you know, dating and a child and then babies and grandbabies. You know, it might look different for them. And we've got to begin to accept that because if we just stick our heads in the sand, it's not going to go away. I want to go back to something you said earlier. I mean, ultimately, like, there's expectations as parents that we have of our kids, which is very dangerous. Powerful. (laughs) Powerful. It's powerful, yeah. It's powerful and dangerous, yeah. And I wrote down something you said earlier about the all-listening, no-lecturing, questions, not questioning. I mean, this principle that you're bringing up is, like, it's a framework of being a parent, or it's not. Either you, like, are interested in your kid and their strengths, the way they see the world, or you want them to do the way that you see the world, right? Is that—and that's a—it feels like that's constantly the tension. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, y'all know, I'm I'm not a parent. I don't have kids, so I have incredible self-awareness around the fact that I don't know the emotions around being a parent. Uh, I've been parented, and I know a lot of parents. My one thought I have on that, Jeff, to that point is— I do think my observation is a lot of parents, their their sense of identity and self-worth is wrapped up in their kids and how their kids are perceived. And so this is what often brings out this explosive emotion in parents is if they feel like, well, if my kid turned out gay, that's a reflection on my parenting, that I did something wrong, and that's embarrassing to me. And again, that's one of those things not many people will admit, but that is what's happening internally with a lot of parents. And so that's another another. I think, principle to to think about and engage with. My, uh, one of my parents in Harbor, Tara Livesey, she wrote this beautiful Facebook post a while back, and she has, gosh, I think four or five kids, but she just talked about how, and this wasn't even in the context of having a gay child, it was just having kids, but her kids are getting older, and she just talked about how the process she's gone through as a parent to sort of disconnect that connection of like, 
my identity is wrapped up in who they are and what how they're perceived. And she talked about recognizing the autonomy of, their, of her children and talking about um, recognizing that they are their own person and that at some point they're going to go their own way. And I am no longer, in a sense, you know, responsible and emotionally tethered to the decisions that this independent, free-thinking human being makes. And it's everything they do is not a reflection on me and what I did. And that gives, I think that's so freeing for parents to accept that, particularly as kids get older, that they don't have to bear the burden of of Johnny being the perfect, you know, straight-A student who, you know, marries the girl and has three kids and moves next door. You know, like, that's great for Johnny if that's his path, but it might not be. And I think the more we can accept that, the better off we are. I think that even goes a little bit into, like, expectations. If you're expecting your child to be straight, you're also modeling in your house those same expectations. Wow, yeah. And therefore, if your child is not straight, it will only be harder, right? So like the heteronormative language and the only woman and only man and only, you know, and, you know, there's a mom and a dad and that's how it goes. And like, if you have language like that, you're just assuming your child will be straight and that's going to hurt even more if they're not, Yeah, I would say. Well, and that's how so many, that's the way I grew up and that's mm-hmm. the way that so many of my friends did. And that's why we lived our entire adolescence years crippled with closet. fear and in the yeah. closet. I mean, and it's, and the, you know, there's all kinds of research on the psychology of what that does to you and the, uh, mm-hmm. It's sort of a, um, there's several studies now that basically say, you know, living this fearful closeted life, it's it's a form of like slow drip trauma. Mm. It's not one dramatic, traumatic moment, but it's a thousand tiny traumatic thoughts every single day mm. of well, what if so-and-so finds out and what if, what will mom think and how will dad respond and what if they, and what if they cut yeah. me off and what, you know, and when you subject a human, particularly a child to that line of thinking, uh, it's incredibly damaging. So what, that's why what you're saying is so important, Andrea, is... I love, I love the thought and I hope and pray for the day where families just hold their expectations for their kids, parents do, much more loosely. And they have space for, he might marry a girl, he might marry a guy, he might be trans. And y'all, I mean, everybody listening, if that 20% number is true, then that's probably going to be one of your kids. I mean... yeah. If that's if that's a true number, which it definitely could be, if you have four kids, you that's one of your four. You know, so it's like we have to really be a lot more aware of this and our language and what we're modeling and what we're saying to our kids every day. Yeah, in that way. So, BT. First of all, when we started, I was like, you're going to make me cry today, aren't you? And he did. Because I always get to I'm holding it back, but you know. So thank you for being with us again. Thank you, guys. This was so much fun. And yeah, love what you're doing. Now it's time for the breakdown. Well, I think it was... He's such a great communicator. Again, I've, I think he should be my next co-host, but wow. I just love BT so much. I feel like we don't really have to break down that much because we kind of broke it down in real time with him. He's such a good friend. He's taught us so much. We learned so much from him. Everyone can learn some so much from BT. Um, this is an important episode because I think this is the type of episode that you will, I hope, 
share with a friend. This can be something that um, is a guide, a starting place. And if you want to go deeper, definitely engage in BT's uh, resource harbor because that can be super, super helpful. Mm, Yeah. And I just think that it's even if you feel like it's not something that is impacting you at this moment to really take into account like how somebody um, might feel in coming out to you or, or what might feel in their own personhood as being gay and how your words and your actions can impact people around you, whether you think it can or not. And so how he kind of talks about, you know, listening to your child or to this person who is gay, that they are their own person, that Mm -hmm. they get to have their own experiences and their own feelings and that we can still love and accept them as they are, I think is so beautiful and will just be impactful for anybody for the rest of their life. You know, one person that really loved and accepted them during this crazy feelings that they're having would be impactful. Yeah. On a totally different uh, framework. I love how BT kind of educated us about marital roles in his relationship. Like two gay men, there's not the preconceived expectations that one person does one thing or not. And I'm like, that's such a healthy thing to learn from them Mm -hmm. as a couple. Like if we in a hetero relationship went into our relationship and we didn't have expectations. It was like, actually, what are you good at? What are your strengths? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we build our lives together to support one another based on those strengths? That That's a really healthy way to approach things. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I do love how he also talked about just being like to not be afraid of going off script and just letting go of expectations that you have on each other and feeling like you can edit at any moment and change that. And Isn't the expected? That's the thing though. I mean, that's the, mm. the expectation, whether that's on your relationship, the expectation of what your kid is going to be like and do and operate and mm-hmm. think and who they are. I mean, that's probably been for me, the biggest, thing the hardest thing of. as a parent to not have expectations of my child. Not to mention, I when we first got married, I had expectations of you, but to not put the expectations on our kids also, and actually be a studier of who they really are and love them hmm. with who they are. Yeah, I expectations I think are the hardest thing to let go of because sometimes they're so uh, unconscious that we don't even realize it. Mm. Um, and you know, and it can take our kid just, you know, looking at you and being like, I hate sports to finally realize, Oh, I'm putting expectations that you should play sports or something. Or it can take our spouse, you know, finally like giving us the truth of like, of what they feel an expectation is being put on them that we don't even know. But it comes from our family roots, our things that we've grown up with, the things that we've seen around us. Like that does remind me of Social the- norms, gender norms. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a bazillion ways that we get these unconscious expectations. And yeah. that is the hardest thing to let That does of. remind me of the time that we went to one of Jada's dance competitions. 
And I was like, I guess I'm a dance dad. Do I need to get her picture in sequence on my t-shirt? You know, I never thought of myself as that. I did feel a lot of pressure to put some sequence on me. Like I needed to bedazzle my shirts and pants though. It's like, how did we get in this room? But, but I, you know, I think we've, I think one thing we've learned is to fall in love with the person that's right in front of us and to mm-hmm. find their strengths and not have those expectations and enjoy them in that. BT, thank you so much for just educating us and, and gracing us with so much really encouraging things to think about today. I love it. I love it. BT, you're the best. And that's another episode of Love, love or Work. work.